morning, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. My name is Paul Hogan, and I'm joined today by John Fahey, our Senior Economist, Gina Dollard, our Head of Security Operations, and Eamon Landy, Head of Group Fraud Prevention. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the fallout arising from the pandemic, and this week we're looking at a specific area of e-fraud and the risks to businesses being infiltrated are taken over by criminals during the economic crisis as companies themselves try to survive the downturn. We've seen this recently in examples of invoice redirection and cyber attacks specifically. In this episode, we'll aim to get greater detail from some of our experts and to get some insight for clients and their accounts payables team in particular. So turning to John, in line with increased online activity in the last couple of weeks arising from the pandemic, do we see this as a permanent feature going forward? Okay, yeah. So when we look at what's happened as a result of the pandemic, as you said, Paul, there in the question, we have seen increased online transactions. So I suppose the question is whether it's just a short term or it's a more structural change. And I think it will be more structural uh, as a result of the pandemic. So what we have seen in the intervening period since restrictions came into play uh, has been increased from a consumer perspective, you know, online purchases. What we've also seen, though, then is obviously the way businesses operate, more remote working. So overall, we've had an accelerated use of technology around both in terms of consumer activity, but also business activity. And I suppose one thing is that for a lot of people, it's probably the first time that they have transacted any sort of major transactions through online. So there's less experience there around that. So that does open up scope for difficulties in terms of verification that and obviously companies emailing you invoices is a new thing for a lot of people in terms of payment but generally speaking our view would be that in terms of this more online presence and online activity is going to become a structural change is happening and I think it will become a more permanent feature both of how we consume and pay for goods and also uh, how provision of services happen around education and medical and also then in terms of just business communication and correspondence with consumers and also business to business transactions been online in terms of invoicing and all that so there will be much more activity I think it will become a more permanent feature of the new normal in terms of much more happening online so as a result of that then there is increased scope obviously for cyber type crime to happen because just much more transactions both in the consumer and business side are going to be happening through online provisions. Thanks very much John. So Gina turning to you what kind of examples of attempted fraud have we seen in the last number of weeks? Sure Probably the most common type of attack that we see is called a phishing attack. So phishing is the use of an email or a malicious website to obtain personal information or financial information from a user. We've seen recently that COVID-19 has been used as a way to exploit users. This is typically emails pretending to be from legitimate organisations like the World Health Organisation. They may contain a malicious attachment or an embedded link to a fake website. Recipients believe this to be a legitimate website. They click on the link, for example, and they can be tricked into giving away sensitive information. There's another piece to it, I think, with regard to the smishing piece where our customers and customers of other institutions have been targeted. So some of this comes off the back of information that's available through social media and their telephone numbers where they get texts and the texts have said that your payment and such and such a date has been held up. Please log on and they present a screen and the screen for all intents and purposes looks like that it's a bank. But when you look at it closely, there are a number of imperfections on the screen. They then ask the customers to give their 
pack and registration and the details particularly sensitive to the account. Now, the reality of it is that no law enforcement or no banking institution would ever ask a customer for that. So effectively, as Gina said, they're socially engineered into giving away information that you would not normally give away. And, you know, once the criminals have that information, they then perpetrate crimes against the unfortunate customers, whether they're ours or other institutions. Thanks very much, guys. That's very insightful. Are there particular things that companies should be looking out for? Well, in in terms of maybe recognising some of these email scams, there are probably a couple of common characteristics that we can look out for. So firstly, a phishing email will try to play on a sense of urgency or a sense of fear. The subject lines can often be quite alarmist. So what they're enticing us to do is click on a link or to visit a website or open an attachment without thinking. Emails from legitimate sources are generally speaking a calm and a credible voice. They won't be alarmist and they won't be trying to create a sense of panic to elicit a response from us. The second thing to look out for is maybe an email that's looking for credentials, whether that's personal or financial information. Now, that's a really big red flag. You know, organisations like AIB or law enforcement agencies will never ask you for this type of personal information. So if you're asked to disclose that information, the email may not be legitimate. Another thing to look out for can be spelling or grammatical errors in the email. So this can often indicate to us that the email is, again, not legitimate. And probably the final thing to look out for is a strange email address or an email address that you don't recognise. So if an email is supposedly coming from a well-known organisation, yet maybe it's coming from a Hotmail or Gmail address, this is not likely to be a legitimate email. Most organisations will have their own company email accounts, although these can be spoofed or misspelt. So reading them carefully is also important. I think from experience, the grammatical issues and the spelling issues are actually quite a giveaway. And the difficulty sometimes is that people become screen blind and we're so used to responding and to an extent we're conditioned to respond to mails that arrive into us. And, you know, the reality of it is that when you get something, you really need to start taking five and kind of go, hold on one sec, I need to look at this. I need to consider what it is I'm being asked to do. I need to consider who's asking me. I need to consider what exactly it is that they're asking me. And I need to consider why. And when someone says to you, if you don't do this within 24 hours, your bank account is going to be closed down. Is that a logical thing that a bank would say to you? Probably not. So there's a certain amount of reflection and analysis required. But the things that you look for are, as Gina set out, they are those things. Then the big, huge thing is fear immediacy and we'll say in hierarchical organizations it may also be a consequence of failing to act if it is that there's an expectation that you should act and you should do it as effective or as quickly as possible and you don't do that and the only way to deal with that is to ensure that you have good solid process and that there's a compliance with the process as you go forward so specifically, guys, from a company accounts payables team's perspective, what can they do to protect themselves in the current environment? I think with regard to that, the important thing is to ensure that there's a strong suite of controls around the releasing of payments. In reality, what you're looking at, ensuring that you have a regime where you have an initiator and you have a releaser and there's a separation of duties that the same person does not carry out both functions. 
and that there is a level of professional scepticism when it is that you're asked to do something out of the order, and I'll address that in a minute. So a four-eye process is the key piece here. The whole issue of invoice redirection and how invoice redirection works and what it plays on is familiarity. And people become familiar with email addresses. They become familiar with individuals that they think that they're speaking with. So I would say treat requests to change payment details with professional scepticism. I would say that you always need to check that there is a direct relationship between the geolocation of the proposed payee account and the known place of business. So if it is that I'm dealing with a company in Ireland, why would I get an IBAN as an alternate payment method that is in the UK or is in France or is in Germany? It's very, very easy to check IBANs. There's an IBAN checker available on the World Wide Web. There's no problem in doing it. That's a small piece. It's also good practice if you receive requests for change of payee to call a trusted number. So if I have been dealing with a company, I undoubtedly have a relationship with the accounts department in the other company. I should be able to, to ring a person that I have dealt with there from a number that I actually have on file, not a number that I get off an email. And I should have a conversation and say, do you know what? I'm after getting a change request here for your account. Could you tell me a little bit about it? This is just part of our QA process here. Have you changed or are you happy for to go with this or do you want me to share the uh, email with you? And if it is okay, well, then you get a positive response. But if you get a response, what email? We didn't send you any email. It's better to do that. And I know it may seem clunky and people may not want to do it, but it runs on the old rule of measure twice and cut once. And if your money is gone, you're chasing the game. Whereas if you actually take control and take charge of the process by making human contact with an individual, you may save yourself a whole lot of trouble in the long run. And we've had incidents where companies have true advice that they have been given, have had made contact, have rang, they received in a mail, they got the mail, they saw it's a bit odd. This is an IBAN from somewhere else. They rang up the company. And I personally know of incidents where substantial amounts of money could have been transferred. But fortunately, due to this small stop, reflect, ask the question, why am I being asked to do this? Who's asking me to do it? And is this normal? And you lift the phone and you ring another person. And that has, in more than one instance that I know of, that has prevented the loss of substantial money to companies. And we understand at the present moment, everyone knows that we're operating in a very, very difficult economic environment. And the last thing that you need to do is to lose money to criminals. Thanks, Eamon. That's solid advice there. The additional time, obviously, worthwhile if a company can avoid the fraud in the first place. I read a report in the last week around an increase in smishing scams, which are see the delivery of fake texts that appear to be from a bank so as to elicit customer account details. Have you any specific observations, guys, around those areas of threat, again, particularly in the pandemic? I'm sure so people are aware. So smishing is a form of a phishing attack and it involves a text message. So similar to uh, an email campaign, cyber criminals are trying to trick you into giving away your private data via a text message. And while most people are aware of the potential risks involved with clicking on a link in an email, it's actually less true when it comes to text messages. So just a few tips. If you receive a suspicious text message, 
do not respond to the text message or click on any links. Never provide personal or financial information. Report it to your bank and delete the text message. Thanks, Gina. Can I ask you guys, what are AIB doing in light of the increased threat in the current environment? So we're actually directing people towards our security centre where we have a number of alerts up. We have warnings have gone out to customers with regard to various different scams. We have interacted with the guards through the National Economic Crime Bureau. We have had slots on crime call. We also have had messages sent out through the platform of FraudSmart. And the FraudSmart message is basically, it's to be aware It's to think about what's occurring. It's to ask the questions. Who, what, why, when, where, and why are they asking it now? And it's about a whole general piece of, before I carry out this action, I really should analyse what's about to happen and I should do certain things to protect myself. And as I pointed out earlier on, these may slow down your process ever so slightly, but they are worthwhile. And as Gina said earlier on, If you receive mails, there are telltale signs in the mails, and we would ask people to examine the mails, particularly to examine the actual email address, because a dot in a different place could mean that you're dealing with a criminal rather than a legitimate supplier. So in a worst case scenario, if somebody realises they have been victim of a scam, what's the advice? What What should they do? I think there's a few things that you should do. I think the very first thing you should do is to contact your bank immediately because if this is a banking matter, the best place to um, get action and get assistance is from the bank. So as quickly as you possibly can, you should contact your bank and inform them exactly what it is that you have done. And then there are a number of other different things that you should do. You should contact law enforcement and report the incident, which is extremely important because sometimes we can work very effectively with with law enforcement through the financial intelligence unit in the guards. They have been of great assistance in reaching out across the world to recover funds for our customers. And there are other pieces which Gina might like to speak about around passwords and that. Okay, so if you believe you have been a victim of a scam, if you think you've been tricked into providing your password, you should change your password immediately. You should contact your IT department for assistance. And if you're using your own laptop or computer, you should run your antivirus software. And finally, guys, are there any key takeaway messages for our listeners this morning? Particularly mindful, I suppose, that a significant number of our customers are currently working from home. Sure. With a lot of us remote working, our home has become our office. So there's probably a couple of things that we can think about in terms of working more securely from home. And one of those is to make sure you have a secure environment. So where possible, if you have designated space in your home that you're using, if you can close or lock the door, this enables you to have private conversations in a private space. You should think about things like maintaining a clean desk policy at home following the same confidential information principles that you would do if you were at work. Another good thing to do is always lock your screen when you're away from your computer and it's not in work. And again, this is a pretty simple one, but it protects the confidential information that might be on your device. 
another thing to consider is securing your Wi-Fi access points. So working from home, people will have multiple smart devices passing through your home Wi-Fi connection. So you should have a strong password on your Wi-Fi router and know all of the devices that are connecting to your router. Yeah, I think there's another piece that's important and particularly when you're dealing with companies, whether they're large companies, whether they're small companies. And so fraud is a risk. It's no more than any other risk. It needs to be managed. And one of the ways of managing fraud risk is through the development of a culture of awareness of what frauds are, that your company should have a good level of understanding of the current fraud risks, the damage that they can actually cause to the company as a result of a successful fraud and it has been my experience that where this level of awareness has been engendered as a cultural piece and it has been led out by one or two ambassadors uh, within the company itself, it's a really robust tool in helping the company to protect itself and it actually costs very little money because most of these fraud scams and the typologies are available on industry websites and generally available through trusted websites on the, on the uh, World Wide Web. Thank you very much, guys, for your expertise this morning. That was John Fatty, AIB Senior Economist, Gina Dollard, Head of AIB Security Operations, and Eamon Landy, Head of Group Fraud Prevention. And for the full range of AIB supports available to our customers, please visit aib.ie forward slash COVID-19. Please press the subscribe button to AIB's Market Talk on the podcast apps for iOS or Android. Speak with you soon. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.